Greetings and salutations and welcome to Full Time, brought to you by the Game Entertainment and Media, along with the game on News Talk 1400. Scott Nason with you as we are joined by co-host Daniel Scarpino for our January edition of Full Time, as we talk about the beautiful game known as football in most places in the world or soccer around these parts. Daniel, a very belated Happy New Year. Glad to have you back for another edition of Full Time. How you doing on another cold, snowy day here in the Algoma region and the Eastern Upper Peninsula? Well, Happy New Year to, uh, to you as well, Scott. I'm doing very well, uh, trying to stay as warm as possible. But, uh, yeah, thanks for everyone who's listening here uh, on, our, on our January show, first one of 2022. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Daniel. I've been quarantined here for the past two weeks, but feeling good and ready to talk a lot of soccer. Boy, we have so much to cover. Let's start with the transfer window. Now, we will wrap up the transfer window on our next edition of Full Time, probably in about two weeks' time in early February. The transfer window opened up uh, early January and will run to February 1st. Uh, We'll have a lot to talk about then, but we already know some of the uh, big names and Maybe some surprises as far as the transfer window, Daniel. And and one certainly that got my attention, a transfer coming to Toronto FC as Lorenzo Inzaghi will become the highest player in the history of Major League Soccer as he signs a four-year deal with Toronto FC worth about $13 million per season. He's 30 years old, who will arrive as a free agent at the Canadian-based team in July once his contract with Napoli expires, and he's been there his entire career. And Daniel, as a Canadian, and I would assume a Toronto FC fan, what a big signing for that club. Oh, it's it's massive, Scott. And as a TFC fan, I mean, things have been a little bit dull over the past few seasons, particularly this past season. You know, got the chance to go and watch a game in October, and the season was done and dusted at that point. But they had such a a difficult season, finished second from bottom. But this signing, this this is quite literally the biggest signing in Toronto FC history, in in my personal opinion. And I think that this is going to absolutely move mountains as it comes to uh, when it comes to the MLS, really, because this is going to now put people in a position to look at the MLS and say, hey, you know what, I don't need to go there at, let's say, 38 years old and make a few a little bit of money for a few years. I'm going to go there when I'm, I'm kind of still in my prime, really, because by the time Insigne gets there, he's only going to be 31 years of age. So he's still, technically speaking, in his prime, a top player, national player, uh, been at Napoli his entire career. Uh, incredible, incredible statistical line that he's had, and uh, Toronto FC got an absolute diamond, uh, and and they're they're going to be uh, looking to do even more business here, Scott. So this is huge for TFC, huge for the MLS as well. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Daniel, when you talked about getting someone in their prime rather than a big European player kind of towards the twilight of their career, which we've seen in the MLS. And it was kind of interesting how this all developed. The president of Toronto FC, Bill Manning, uh, confirmed that he used the website TransferMark to find out uh, who the Italian, and there weren't many, apparently, that were about to become free agents. He looked it up. He brought it up to his board and their vision. And, yeah, who wouldn't want that job? gentlemen to be on their squad. Uh, Daniel, we'll get back to more transfer news in a moment, but let's stay in the MLS. Uh, you know, this is a league that's been around almost 30 years, if you can believe that, uh, mid-90s when the MLS started, and it started in 
not so soccer built stadiums. Uh, many of the initial clubs are playing in big football, American football stadiums. And this is a league that just gets bigger and bigger. They're going to welcome Charlotte FC, uh, this upcoming season, which will start rather quickly, uh, actually mm-hmm. in February. Uh, and Charlotte FC, you know, you look at uh, that franchise, they have already reportedly sold about 50,000 plus tickets for their home opener. And, uh, all eyes are on their home opener, which will be March fifth against the LA Galaxy, which will potentially break the MLS attendance record. You know, now with this team expanding to 29, it looks like there may be more, or should say 28 teams, there could be more coming up. Uh, The state of MLS right now, Daniel, uh, you know, not only with this big signing by Toronto FC, but just in general, uh, this is a, a league that is certainly growing, not just here in the United States and in Canada, but really uh, getting the attention of uh, some of the bigger players in Europe and around the world. Yeah, without question. And when you want to talk about growth in any sort of sport, I think that the MLS would be the prime sport that you look at because they are expanding in terms of getting new franchises. The fan bases of uh, so many franchises already in the MLS are growing hugely. And uh, every year the popularity grows, grows and grows. And it's incredible to see all of these different cities, all these different communities really getting behind these clubs and these teams that are, are trying to make a name for themselves in the world of soccer. And uh, I think it's incredible the atmosphere that's been created amongst so many different MLS teams. And uh, the league continues to grow, and that can only mean uh, good things for the world of soccer, particularly uh, for soccer in our own backyard, Scott. Yeah, and it means uh, the development of the national programs, which we get to towards the end of the show, uh, both the U.S. and Canada doing well and certainly having good domestic leagues will only help in their future endeavors. Uh, Daniel, uh, quite a few signings that we do know of uh, in many of the mid to bottom level teams in the, the Premier League uh, making some news. Again, still a couple weeks left, so we'll be talking about this on our next show. Uh, Aston Villa uh, signed a couple players, midfielder uh, Felipe Coutinho, Tuna and left back Lucas Digne uh, going in to Steven Gerrard's tactical system at Aston Villa. What do you think of those two moves? Uh, we're going to talk about a couple other clubs that are closer to the bottom, but Aston Villa certainly uh, making waves here in early January. Well, we talk about different impacts and different effects in the world of soccer so often, Scott. And right now, this is what we would call the Steven Gerrard effect. And yeah. where he goes, he, he, in his young managerial career so far, only have been doing this, I believe, for about four seasons, give or take. He's had incredible success in Scotland with Rangers, and now he's come over to Aston Villa, and he's, he's put out a real proper Aston Villa side. And Philip Coutinho was a former teammate of Steven Gerrard, and uh, Lucas Digne, for me, is, was, a, was a class defender at, uh, at Everton and uh, an international as well. So these are two huge signings, and I think that Aston Villa certainly are moving in the right direction. And I, I do believe as a young manager, Steven Gerrard is the right guy to guide that ship. Yeah, I like him as manager as well. Uh, Aston Villa certainly doing uh, pretty well in the Premier League and a couple teams that aren't doing pretty well, but there's certainly optimism in Newcastle. Uh, they did get a, a new Saudi-led ownership group, and certainly they are flexing their financial muscle for a team that right now is in the relegation zone as they have added uh, Kieran Trippier from Athletic. Atletico Madrid, uh, along with uh, Chris Wood, out of uh, relegation rivals Burnley. Uh, Certainly the Newcastle fans, uh, many of them were very excited about this ownership group, and uh, they're probably not done making moves. Uh, What do you think of Newcastle United and uh, their dip into the transfer market so far? 
Well, I think with, with those two signings particularly, Scott, I think those are the right profile of player that Newcastle United need right now. Obviously, they're going to be able to splash more money than probably anybody in the Premier League moving forward, maybe with the exception of Manchester City, but they, they might even eclipse them. But I think Chris Wood, tall, uh, out-note striker, your typical number nine, can play back to goal, really good in the air. And then Kieran Trippier, I mean, we just saw him this, this, past, uh, this past summer at the Euros. He was fantastic. So Newcastle, what they need to do right now is just find a way to stay up in the Premier League. So it's about getting results for them. And uh, we'll see if these two new signings can definitely, uh, if they can help uh, Newcastle. A team, Daniel, that we're not used to saying is in a relegation uh, zone, or at least slightly above it, Everton. We'll talk about their manager being sacked here coming up, uh, but they have spent uh, over a half billion pounds on transfers <laughs> under their current ownership, and uh, they did acquire a couple fullbacks, uh, Nathan Patterson, along with Vitaly Mokalenko. I apologize for the uh, mispronunciations. They also signed Anwar Algazi. Uh, Everton, a uh, very disappointing this season uh are these guys enough to uh keep them in the premier league i just i can't imagine everton being relegated uh certainly this helps their cause uh it definitely helps their cause scott and i think that everton are, we're always going to be a team that would survive anyways but they've certainly had a disappointing season and we'll talk a little bit more about the managerial impact uh, uh in a little while but yeah, these three signings definitely will help, and uh, they'll definitely see them over the line in the Premier League. And hopefully, if you're an Everton fan anyways, you'll want to see the results improve because uh, the past uh, few months anyways has been really disastrous. Uh, speaking of the disastrous, uh, Barcelona, certainly their Champions League run was disastrous this season and trying to get things right. And certainly the signing of Ferran Torres from Manchester City for around 55 million pounds certainly will help with that club. Uh, Torres at Barcelona, I mean, it, it can't, it can't uh, get much worse for Barcelona. The way things are going, Torres will give them maybe a little shot in the arm. Yeah, you know what, for me, I've always rated Ferran Torres, and the unfortunate reality is is if you're not an absolute top, top player, it's going to be very difficult to fit into that Manchester City side, which again, towards the end of the show, Scott, we'll talk a little bit more about them, but um, yeah, I've always rated him, I think he's a fantastic player, really good on the ball, super skillful, skillful, and he knows how to score goals, so he'll fit into the Barcelona setup really well tactically, and I think technically he, he's, the, he's the right type of player that uh, that Barcelona would need. Fiorentina signing uh, Jonathan Akane uh, to from Lille. Uh, that certainly will help that squad. Uh, Fiorentina, you know, obviously uh, still in the mix as far as uh, in Italy and Syria. What do you think of that move? Well, I think it's I think that's really important for them because there's a, a possibility that Fiorentina might actually lose Vlahovic to uh, potentially come into Arsenal. So right. um, jo- Jonathan Okone could be a signing that they need in order to just replace him. Maybe not the same profile of player, the same type of player necessarily, but they're going to need a name to come in to uh, to replace. And if that's the case, then they, they certainly got their man. We're seeing more and more Americans and Canadians, Daniel, playing in a big-time European football. Uh, everyone's seen the uh, escapades of Weston McKinney at Juventus and, and another American player from FC Dallas, Ricardo Pepe. He's going to join uh, FC Osberg in a, a record-breaking deal. Uh, and again, this, this bodes well for American and Canadian soccer, more and more players playing in big-time European uh, competition. Well, it's huge. And again, it's always nice to see somebody who is close to home or in this case in home 
uh, go to uh, such a big club and make a huge move for a, a, an incredible amount of money. So another big move and certainly bodes well uh, for, for folks uh, in our own backyard, Scott. And Daniel, we'll probably have more to discuss in the transfer window coming up here in a couple weeks. Uh, Mbappe, Hazard, uh, among many that are rumored to move. We'll just have to wait and see, and we'll certainly cover it coming up on our next edition of Full Time. Uh, Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this January edition of Full Time, exploring the world of soccer. And, uh, well, you can say a lot of managers are not uh, full-time, as uh, many of them (laughs) have been sacked. Uh, The latest, uh, Rafa Benitez uh, from Everton, as he was sacked after losing to Norwich uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jose Mourinho uh, Wayne Rooney, among others, uh, linked uh, to that squad. But, you know, and we're going to talk about some of the other managers that have been sacked this season, Daniel. Uh, Steve Bruce at Newcastle, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo out of, I feel like I'm saying a prayer there, out of uh, Tottenham. He was sacked. Dean Smith, Aston Villa, Ole Gunnar Schalkstar out of Manchester United, uh, as well as Munoz out of Watford. I mean, that's six just in the Premier League that have been uh, sacked this season, actually seven as Farka out of Norwich City was also sacked. And it just goes to show you, Daniel, that it doesn't matter what you did last year. It's what have you done for me now? We see that in American and Canadian professional sports, but I think the microscope is uh, much more magnified on these managers. Uh, First of all, your thoughts on Benitez and just overall, just uh, the fluid situation of management in the Premier League and really all of Europe. Well, I, I think in, in, in regards to Rafa Benitez to start, the appointment itself, Scott, I, had, I have to admit, I found to be quite strange because if you talk about rival clubs, um, the Merseyside Derby is, is one of the most intense in all of soccer between Everton and, and Liverpool. And folks have to remember that for an extended period of time, I believe it was six seasons that Rafa Benitez managed Liverpool and actually won the Champions League with them. Yeah. So for him to then go to Everton, that was not taken on particularly well by the Evertonians. Um, that being said, the way that Everton started the season, actually, I quite liked. Um, and I think that the reason that they started so well is because Rafa Benitez as a manager, if you take a look at the way he sets up his teams and the way he, he tactically goes about his business, he's incredibly simplistic. He likes to play in a low block or relatively low block anyway, he likes to get the balls into the channels for the strikers and the wingers to run onto, uh, And he likes to launch quick counterattacks. So in the beginning, um, Everton weren't so bad. We have to remember that they were as high as fourth place in the Premier League. And for the first 10 games about, they were okay. And then ever, ever since a few injuries happened, COVID and, and, you know, a little bit of uh, discontent in the squad, it's been really bad. And, uh, obviously we, we saw this sacking coming and, um, that's the way that it had to be. And obviously, as we know in, in the world of soccer, in regards to the second part of your question, Scott, managers just don't get time anymore. And like you said, it's what for, what have you done for me lately? And um, I do believe that with the high turnover of managers that we've seen this year, it's certainly not going to slow down. Clubs want to make money back. Clubs want to do well. Clubs want to be in Europe. And uh, the demand is so high. So we could see more managers going out the door this season, not just in the Premier League, but in many European leagues uh, across Europe and, and elsewhere as well, Scott. And Daniel, you mentioned COVID-19 certainly uh, still around and raging uh, bigger than ever. Uh, We haven't seen as many cancellations in in many of the leagues in Europe and even North American sports as we have seen, but it's certainly here and it poses 
I think, a unique problem for the clubs in soccer because you look at the Premier League standings right now, a team like Chelsea has played 23 matches where some have only played 18 or 19 because of COVID-19 outbreaks and canceling games. And it makes it more challenging as you move on because especially with the upper echelon clubs, if you will, having to play midweek games in the FA Cup or uh, any domestic cup competition or the Champions League or the Europa League. It's certainly, uh, it's going to be challenging, Daniel, over these next few months to get these games in. Now you're seeing a lot of Tuesday, Wednesday. Heck, there was a game today. Uh, Tottenham uh, knocked off Leicester City 3-2 to with two uh, very late goals. Uh, it really poses a problem for the managers and even health and safety that a lot of these guys are really going to have to uh, you know, play a lot more games than they're used to. Well, exactly, Scott. And I think you hit the nail on the head on so many things that you just said. But the biggest thing for me is the, the question of when are you going to fit these games in? Because, you know, you take a look at how compact the schedule already is. It's not a sport like hockey or basketball where you could play back-to-backs. Uh, you need at least three days between games. There's domestic competitions. There's Europa League. There's Champions League. Um, there's international breaks. So when do you fit these games in? And I think uh, the, the postponement of fixtures, it actually might bode well for some, for some squads because they have more time to prepare behind the scenes, let's say, and work on ideas. But for some, for other squads, it might not be as, as good because, you know, if you have fixture pile up and you have to play so many games in a short span of time, you know, fatigue can set in, more injuries can happen and what have you. But the one thing I will say is that when it comes to postponements, if it's for COVID reasons, 100% I'm behind that because we want people to be healthy and well, and we don't want to see COVID wreak havoc on clubs. But this whole idea that teams are now postponing fixtures that, oh, well, we have COVID, but we also have a bunch of injuries and suspensions, I'm not about that. And I think that the Premier League specifically need to look into that and say, if you have a COVID problem, we'll postpone. Just because you have injuries and suspensions, that's not going to that's not gonna quantify us uh, postponing your match. Yeah, it's a very good point, Daniel, indeed. Let's move on to uh, international soccer. There is one competition going on right now, the African Cup of Nations. Uh, this involves 24 teams who will advance to the round of 16. Uh, still a couple groups to sort out. Uh, today, Egypt advanced in their group. Uh, other teams that have advanced uh, and get your uh, get your atlas out to try to find out <laughs> some of these countries. Uh, Burkina Faso, Gabon, Nigeria, Guinea, Cameroon, Central Senegal and Morocco and Daniel a big surprise in group C Ghana a team that the United States has faced a couple times in the World Cup was knocked out of the tournament by Comoros now my first question is can you identify Comoros on a map I don't think I could and I'm a social no. studies major no. <laughs> secondly just this African Cup of Nations uh, certainly uh, some players <clears throat> excuse me from some of the uh, you know, big leagues are participating in this. Uh, have you had a chance to watch this and uh, any surprises so far besides the one well, I just mentioned? <laughs> well, exactly. And, and you know what, for Comoros, 152nd ranked in the world. Could you believe that? Love it. Ab- absolutely incredible. And that's why, and I, I've seen so many clips, uh, Scott, throughout this tournament. And for these folks, uh, like, it just goes to show that soccer is, or football, I suppose, is so much more than a game. It's so much more yep. than a game. And, and the passion that has gone through this tournament has been incredible. I have been keeping up with it. And uh, there's been some top teams, the likes of Cameroon, Senegal, Morocco, you know, Egypt has gone through Nigeria, uh, the Ivory Coast, uh, 
you know, there's, there's Nicolas Pepe who's playing there from Arsenal and, and Gambia and, and there's a few others as well, but it's been an entertaining tournament and some good football and there's some high profile players right now. The best player in the world is there in Mohamed Salah. So it's been an incredible tournament. We'll see what happens. I believe come February the 4th, who will be crowned champion, but you have to love this brand of, of soccer. It's intense, it's entertaining, and it's really, really good for the viewers. It is, and I, all the round of 16 matchups aren't set, but one is, and, and I love this, Burkina Faso taking on Gabon in a round of 16 <laughs> fixture. That is outstanding. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this mid-January edition of Full Time. And Daniel, let's look at the big five leagues in Europe. We'll kind of go through these quickly here. Uh, makeup games continuing this week in the big five. Uh, many of them have unbalanced schedules and, and tables, I should say with many clubs playing several more games than the other in the Premier League. Uh, we talked about this uh, on our last edition, uh, how it could be very competitive at the top. Well, Manchester City, they just refuse to lose, uh, despite having uh, several players out at times due to COVID-19. Currently, Manchester City leading uh, the Premier League over second place Liverpool by 11 points. My Chelsea Blues are struggling in third place with 12 points. In Spain, Real Madrid at top of the table, five points better than second place Sevilla, 12 points ahead of Real Betis, who is currently third. And Inter, Milan is still atop the table in Serie A with 50 points. It looks like a good race there, two points ahead of AC Milan and four points clear of Napoli. Uh, just looking at those three leagues, Daniel, certainly to me, the surprise is how Manchester City has just uh, really levitated themselves in really good position to win the Premier League. I certainly thought that Chelsea and Liverpool would give more of a fight, uh, and uh, you know Real Madrid, no surprise there. And, and I really like what's going on in Serie A. This this may be the league that has the best uh, title uh, contention, if you will. Your thoughts on those three leagues? Well, I have to say the folks at Manchester City, they, they must just be looking at themselves thinking, how do we continue to do this? But yeah. then you take a look, they've got the players, they've got the money, they've got the manager, they've got the infrastructure, they've got everything they need. And I really did believe that this season was going to be a three-horse race between Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. And those are the top three, Scott. But Manchester City, for me, are completely and totally running away with it at this point. I cannot see anybody catching them, and I do believe that they will be crowned Premier League champions and everyone else is going to have to fight for the top four and it might be a pretty good race moving forward um, in La Liga definitely a decent race going on um, you know I figured that Real Madrid would be around the top I didn't think that they would be doing as well as they have uh, a couple of games actually right now in action as we uh, as we record um, but it'll be interesting again to see uh, who can sneak up the table if Atletico Madrid's going to hold on to a top four spot if they're going to creep up to, to potentially challenging Real Madrid and uh, how Barcelona is going to do as well. So it definitely will be interesting to see there. And like you said about City, uh, definitely, uh, for, for me anyways, one of the best uh, in terms of uh, European football this year that I've been able to watch. And I have to say I've been so impressed with Inter Milan because I didn't think that they would do as well as they have been doing with the loss of their manager, with the loss of some top players, with the loss of the money that they've had. Um, they've been incredible, and uh, so far the, the race for, uh, for the Scudetto has been incredible in City, uh. 
And if you have Amazon Prime, uh, during my quarantine time, I, I spent a lot of time playing uh, video soccer as well as watching uh, many things. And one of the things I watched was the All or Nothing series on Juventus. Uh, a great, mm-hmm. great watch uh, for anyone that's a, a soccer fan, especially of Serie A. Juventus, uh, Daniel, is a team I've always rooted for. I have no Italian blood or nationality, but it's always a team that I've uh, lo- you know looked forward to, to, to watching. Uh, Chilean is one of my favorite players of all time, just a great guy, and of course, uh, uh, Buffoon, or Buffon, excuse me, not Buffoon, he's not a Buffoon, a Buffon uh, who just retired, certainly a good watch, have you had a chance to watch that? I have, yeah, I did watch it, and uh, an absolutely incredible documentary, and like you said, I I echo your statements, anybody who has Amazon Prime, definitely check it out, and I I have to say too, with, with a documentary like that, I don't even know if you have to necessarily be like an, uh, a soccer fanatic or a huge right. fan of the sport, I think like you could probably appreciate it even if you just like sports in general because it's so cool. It gives you an in-depth behind-the-scenes look of, of what a club goes through, what a team has to do to get to the top and how it, uh, a club like Juventus stays at the top because they've been so dominant. So an incredible series, but yeah, I love it, Scott. The next one I'm going to watch is Bayern Munich, and they are atop the Bundesliga with 46 points, not running away with it, however. Six points clear of Borussia Dortmund, who have 40 points, uh, Bayer Leverkusen with 32, and really the one league, although the, uh, the Premier League looks like it could be a runaway. Uh, PSG continues to lead, lead rather, League One in France with 50 points, 11 points clear of a second place Nice, and 13 points ahead of Marseille. Uh, you know, those pretty heavy favorites in those two leagues. Daniel, what are your thoughts? Well, like you said, uh, Bayern is, is at the top of the table, but they're not quite running away with it yet. Uh, again, Dortmund is on their heels, but no one else is going to catch them. That's the reality of it. So if Dortmund can make a push on Bayern, that will be great for, for entertainment purposes. But every time I watch Bayern Munich play, and I do watch them relatively often, they're just head and shoulders above everybody. They're an incredible side to watch, and they can do everything really, really well. And as, as for uh, for League One, again, it's been a foregone conclusion since before the season started. Uh, we knew that PSG was going to be dominant, and for them it is all about what they do in the Champions League, Scott. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for our January edition of Full Time. A couple more subjects to breach here, Daniel, on our show. We are to the knockout stage of the Champions League in Europe as the round of 16 matches will resume in mid-February, the matchups are set. PSG will take on Real Madrid in a real cracker, as they would say overseas. Uh, Sporting SP will face Manchester City. Red Bull Salzburg will face Bayern Munich. Another very tasty matchup sees Inter Milan take on Liverpool. Chelsea will face Lille. Villarreal will take on Juventus. And another real good matchup. A lot of Premier League teams in some good matchups here. Atletico Madrid will take on Manchester United. And finally, Benfica will take on Ajax. Uh, Of those matchups, Daniel, certainly I highlighted the ones I'm watching. Uh, What are some of the more interesting matchups that you're going to be watching? Well, PSG and Real Madrid are going to be close to the top of the list, if not the top. Yeah. Uh, I do actually believe that PSG probably will win that, and I think that Real Madrid is just going to focus on La Liga. That being said, if PSG were to get knocked out in the round of 16, I think that Maurizio Pochettino might be uh, might be out the door, and I think he'll be out the door very quickly. Yeah. Um, I think Man City against Sporting might be a foregone conclusion for me. I think Man- Manchester City is just too good. Uh, Bayern should win their tie against RB Salzburg. Inter and Liverpool, that's going to be an, impre- an impressive and interesting tie over the course of two legs. 
Um, Chelsea, I believe, will, will do their magic. Juventus, I think, will walk Villarreal. They're having a very difficult time this season in La Liga, uh, our Villarreal. Manchester United and Atletico, I think that's going to be interesting because Atletico and, and Manchester United have very different tactics. Manchester United yeah. is going to want to press high. Atletico is going to want to sit low. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. That's probably the absolute highest with uh, with PSG and, and Real Madrid. And then Benfica and Ajax, I think it'll be an interesting tie. But I love that Ajax team, and I know you do as well, Scott. So I think that they will go through, really. Yeah, I think Ajax goes through over Benfica. I like the Ronaldo factor with Manchester United. I think that gets them through. Uh, Juventus, I think, will take care of Villarreal. <sighs> Despite how Chelsea has looked mm-hmm. over the past month and a half, I still like them over Lille. Uh, Inter and Liverpool, I might go Inter on this one. I'm going to go a little different on that. I just think nice. they're having a great season. Uh, Bayern over uh, Salzburg easily. Man City over Sporting easily. And I agree with you. I think PSG will get over the line in this one, although it's going to be very tough. And uh, certainly uh, their expectations win the Champions League or bust for their current manager. Uh, Daniel, let's finish with World Cup qualifying yes the world cup is this year in december and the qualifying will resume next week in Concacaf. the united states will host el salvador next thursday while canada will travel to honduras canada sits atop the 18 group with 16 points after eight matches played the u.s has 15 mexico and panama each with 14 the top three teams qualify automatically while the fourth place team will go to a playoff canada will also host the united states on january 30th in hamilton the u.s will host honduras on february 2nd while canada will travel to el salvador uh daniel i feel the winner of the u.s canada game really has a clear path to the top three especially if it's the U.S. having two home matches against the lower-rung teams, while Canada has to go on the road also against lower-rung teams. But as you know, when you go down to the Hondurases and El Salvadors and Panamas of the world, it's never an easy match. What do you think about uh, CONCACAF and where uh, your Canadians and my uh, United States set? Um, well, I, I think that this, these next two games are going to be really telling for what happens, just as you mentioned, Scott. And I do believe that um, Canada will likely get a result uh, in their next match uh, over Honduras. That's just my feeling on it, even though that it's going to be a difficult place to go to. I also believe that the U.S. at home against the El Salvador, they will win. And then when it comes down to Canada and the U.S., I just have this funny feeling that the U.S. is going to win. And coming out of these next couple of games that the U.S. will be top of, uh, top of the table, uh, the one thing I will say that really hurts Canada right now is the absence of Alfonso Davies. I think yes. that that's certainly going to be difficult for them. But I think uh, any results at this point uh, in the competition anyways, especially against the, the lower teams, let's say, uh, even though they are difficult to play against, I think any result is a positive result. So uh, the more points at this uh, at this stage of the competition, Scott, the better. But Canada and the U.S. certainly have a good chance uh, to get in the top three, but it's a matter of uh, what they can do on a game-to-game basis, and it is all about getting results at this point. Getting results and getting points and getting in that top three in both the U.S. and Canada look very good to do just that. Daniel, we covered a lot of ground here on our January edition of Full Time. We'll be back here in two weeks' time for our early February edition. We'll probably get another one in in later, the later staters rather of February. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Full Time. Enjoy the matches as I know you will, and uh, we'll talk in two weeks' time, my friend. Looking forward to it, Scott. Always a pleasure, and uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in here uh, on this uh, on this episode. It's been brilliant.
It has been, and uh, certainly you can find all editions of Full Time on the website, thegamesportshow.com. You can also find it on several other podcasting sites, including Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podtrail. Uh, just type in the Game Sports Show. You can find our show Full Time along with uh, several others on the game entertainment and media platform. Just a programming note, we will be with you on Monday night for our next edition of the game. We had to take a couple weeks break due to COVID-19 and health and safety protocols. We will have that Monday night on News Talk 1400. For Daniel Scarpino, my name is Scott Nason. We'll talk to you in early February for our next edition of Full Time here on the game, entertainment and media.